What's up, podcast? Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and on today's episode, we have a very cool guest. He is Kellen Lee. He works with the San Francisco Giants, the baseball organization. Yes, that's random. I know this is a golf podcast, but I think you'll find out that Uh, something that I believe and maybe you'll agree with, that there are parallels across every sport and really across every human domain because really these are human skills. And that's one of the major things we talk about in this podcast. Kellen is super smart, super like charismatic and just a cool guy. Uh, So I think you're going to get a lot of value out of hearing him. And really... If you've ever heard the phrase like stick to the process or focus on the process or the process is more important than results, like just that word process, I think this episode more than anything I've ever done on this podcast gets to the heart of what the process means, how to define it, what it looks like, some like really good analogies to describe it. I think this is actually going to be the most clear way to see what the process is. All right, so... Let's listen to Kellen and me talk about the process and a bunch of other stuff. All right, hope you enjoy. Maybe you could give like a little background on yourself, what you, uh, I guess, grew up doing, how you got to where you are now, that kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah. Um, So as a kid, I played pretty much every sport under the sun. Um, I played baseball, football, soccer, basketball, unfortunately didn't play golf, which I probably should have. Um, cause as a, as a baseball player, I was always, uh, afraid of ruining my swing either for, or for baseball. So I didn't pick up golf until afterwards. So I might need some golf tips cause I'm not very good, but I'm like working on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I played, I played a ton of sports growing up. Um, always had a passion for sports. Um, fortunate enough to play baseball in college at UC San Diego um, and as a player, you know, I was, I was always a, like a pretty good player, but I didn't really reach my full potential until I got to college. And I really attribute that to the, the mental game. And I, and I, and again, we'll get into to more of that later on, but my, uh, my coach did a really good job, um, for, for us and for me, you know, personally of introducing us to a lot of the mental game principles and techniques that, uh, that I work through with athletes now. And it was really intriguing. And I, and I reached a level of performance that I never thought was even possible for myself. And, um, and when that happened, uh, the, I got really curious. I'm like, well, what, what is this mental game sports psychology stuff? And um, so then I I talked to a few people and I realized that it it was a field and people got degrees in sports psychology and I had no idea. And um, so I, so I ended up, uh, getting a master's in sports psychology and at the same time I was working on staff with my coach so my coach actually got a job at a different university and invited me to be on the staff so at that time I was I was at this crossroads well well was I going to go coach or was I going to you know pursue the sports psychology full-time and and I think I, I think I would have enjoyed coaching but what 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 I realized was um seeing what the other coaches were doing with the recruiting and you know everything that goes into college baseball coaching I realized that wasn't for me and that's okay. Like I was totally fine with that, uh, that realization. And what was really cool was oh, I had just started my master's program in sports psychology 
and I went to the annual baseball coaches convention. Um, and there's, you know, thousands of presenta- uh, presentations and there's a bunch of people good for networking and you know, just, you know, learn, learn more about coaching techniques and whatnot. And I happened to stumble on this one presentation. Um, this one guy who was a mental skills coach for the Atlanta Braves. And I, I walk in and I don't really know what to expect. And, and I sit down and, and he starts talking. And again, I just started my master's program and, and he's talking about what he does with the Braves, working with the players and with the coaches. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. Like what yeah. he does right there is exactly what I do. Again, I was a really eager, you know, fresh, you know, fresh, in a, uh, brand new graduate student. I was really motivated. I'm like, okay, like that's, that's it. That's what yeah. I want. So, um, you know, as I was progressing towards the masters, I was really um, fixated on working on baseball. And the weirdest advice was given to me is work with a ton of different sports. And I didn't really fully understand that. And, and I'll circle back to that idea here in a little bit. So um, that was, that was the advice of just work with a a wide variety of sports. And I didn't really understand it. So when I finished my master's, I, what I did was I I tried to get a lot of consulting gigs, you know, working with athletes, colleges, um, teams here and there. Um, and then I taught, I taught at a high school, um, cause you know, my thought was if I'm going to, if I'm going to work with all the athletes, they're available in the afternoon. So I might as well have a morning job while they're in school anyway. So huh. it worked out nicely and, and that's what my plan was. And then, um, but ultimately again, I really wanted to get into baseball. So I, I talked to a lot of people in baseball. I talked to a lot of people in the field and, and they recommended that I work with, uh, try to go work with the military, which a lot of sports psychology, mental skills professionals work with the military. So um, after a couple of years of doing the consulting world, I really wanted to get more full time. So I was fortunate enough to, to land a job working as a government contractor, working with the United States Army on mental skills training, which was really cool. And um, and this is where it comes full circle in terms of working with different athletes is I never imagined myself ever working with a uh, military um, as someone who never served in the military, who was, you know, uh, again, played every sport under the sun. I didn't really see the connection. I'm like, well, mental skills, sports psychology, of course that makes sense in sports, right? right. It's in the title of sports psychology, but like, where does the military fit in? And I was really skeptical and I didn't really understand why, um, it was, it, you know, this program that I was a part of is one of the biggest uh, employers of sports psychology professionals. So I just didn't really understand it until I got there. And when I got there, it was, it was phenomenal. It was a great experience. And I learned so much about the field. I had a great team around me that I got to bounce ideas off of and, um, and really just like work through the problem and, 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 uh, get so many repetitions in front of groups of speaking. And, um, you know, I, I found myself in front of a group of 500 soldiers one day doing a presentation and, you know, to me, I'm like, okay, that's, that's fine. That's cool. But I tell other people and they're like, oh my gosh, that's Mm -hmm. insane. Like, that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Very intimidating. Right. And, um, but with that said, like those numerous times I was in front of groups, um, articulating really complex concepts and, you know, connecting it to the their world by learning, learning about what they do and how they do it, um, was, was really cool because what I, what I realized was all of the sports psychology techniques that I've been working with athletes on for forever they're exactly the same with military personnel. Just the performances are vastly different, right? Like a golfer steps up and takes a swing while a soldier steps up to the firing range and fires a rifle downrange. And from a mental skill standpoint, the skills and techniques are pretty similar, right? You have to control your breathing, you have to control your body, and you have to focus on where you want the, the ball or the bullet to go. Oh. It's pretty much the same thing. Just oh. physically, the, the performances are very different. So, um, that's why I found a lot of value in working with different types of sports because 
I had to learn the military from ground zero or from ground from, from the ground floor. Right. And every other sport that I didn't understand, I had to do the same thing. So I had to ask a lot of questions and build the rapport with the athletes. And, um, you know, I, I had to learn, I learned field hockey and I learned lacrosse and I learned all of these random sports I'm from San Diego. So like, we don't play field hockey. We don't, I mean, we don't play lacrosse. Like again, lacrosse, right. I don't even think my school in my high school in high school, they even have lacrosse. Like I didn't even know that it was a sport, right? Like I had no idea. So long story short, it was really cool to learn different sports and be able to apply the skills to a new population like the military or different sports. And then you know, fast forward after three years, you know, a, a wonderful time learning with, uh, alongside the military, working with them. Um, I landed a job with the San Francisco Giants. So now I'm the mental skills coach with the, with the San Francisco Giants. Um, and this is my first year. Obviously, it's a very strange year um, mm -hmm. working in pro ball. Um, but I've learned a lot. It's been a great experience. And again, you know, it's exactly where I've always wanted to go. And, um, you know, people ask me like, oh, how do you get to where you, where you were? Like, I tell people, work with the military oh. every single time. Like it's, it's like the one thing as soon as any, any graduate student who, you know, wants to pick my brain or someone who wants to get into the field, they're like, Oh man, I want to, I really want to work in professional baseball. I'm like, okay, great. Like that's phenomenal. Work with the military. It's the oh. best, best experience you can get for a lot of reasons. Like I said, you get a lot of repetitions. You get to be in front of groups all the time. I mean, we're, we're, we're instructors. We are civilian instructors in the military and, we are always uh, articulating concepts and, and just really explaining things over and over and over. So you get to learn about uh, yourself. You get to dive deeper into the concepts and yeah. it absolutely prepared me well for working in professional baseball because, you know, even with my baseball experience, even with my, my education background, you know, I don't think I would have been as successful as I have been thus far in baseball if I didn't work with the military for three right. years. And then, um, Oh, I guess I left out a big part. Uh, so I'm working on my PhD as well. Right. I'm almost done here in a couple months. Wow. Um, it'll be in performance psychology and I've been doing that for a couple of years. So I, I started, I started the program when I was w still working with the military and then I'm finishing up now. And then, and the, like I said, in the next few months. And um, so, yeah, it's been a busy mm. four or five years, but um, I really love where I'm at. I, I really can't speak highly enough about the Giants organization, yeah. um, their support for mental skills and, and just uh, all the coaches and players being really receptive to uh, what we're doing and what we're trying to, you know, work with the players on. And yeah, so that, that's yeah. my story. It's a, it's a long story, but uh. sports has always been around there. And over the last, you know, eight years or so, it's mental skills, sports psychology all the way. Right. So I definitely want to get back to what you are actively doing with the Giants, but to, to rewind back all the way to your early days where your coach pointed out the mental skills and like how, and the importance of them. That's huge for a coach to do, especially at my or your age or older where it wasn't so valued back then. It was like, okay, just, just practice, find it in the dirt, you know? So mm -hmm. what, like what realizations specifically did you have back then? Oh, man, there, there is like, there were so many moments where, um, in the moment, I might not have really realized what coach was doing or coach was talking about or, you know, introducing to us, but then like reflecting on either like after a competitive or after a competitive moment or a game, um, after a season, I would look back and go like, oh, like that makes sense. And I'll, and I'll be more specific. So um, typically in baseball, uh, like traditional baseball, like you're talking about like the traditions of, you know, training and whatnot 
there's a lot of times where coaches will just throw what we call like feel good BP, where it's just like, they're going to groove it right down the middle and you're going to see how far you can hit it and makes you feel really good. And I guess in golf, it's probably similar to going to the range and just bringing out your driver and just letting loose and just trying to hit it as far as you possibly can. Or like when you go to top golf and you try to hit the back net, like I do that. I'm so guilty of that. (laughs) Like that's like feel good BP where you just want to, you just want to see how far the ball can go. Yeah. And there's really no purpose behind it. It just like, I'm just going to let loose and see how far I can hit it. And we would rarely ever do that. And my whole baseball year, my whole baseball career, we had always done that. And and I didn't really understand why we didn't. So for example, he would, we'd call it like challenge BP where he would like throw really hard. He'd move the ball around. He'd throw breaking balls. He would make it so much like a game environment to where we had to really, we had, he, he basically created a competitive environment every single day. Right. And when we got to game day, it seemed easy. Mm. And as an athlete, like I full again, I didn't fully understand what was happening, but what I did realize is when, when I went up there to step up to the plate in like a high pressure situation, so to speak, I felt much more ready than what I, than I otherwise would have. We were just like, feel good. Like, let's see how far we can hit it. You know, let's, let's just, you know, do that take that approach. And so that's just one example of how he really created a really strong competitive environment in training or in practice where the game just felt easy. And um, another example is he would talk about, um, you know, just having some type of routine and we can get deeper into this now, but like having a routine between pitches Mm. and sticking to it, uh, you know, consistently over the course of the game, over the course of the season, over the course of your career. And like, baseball players are pretty wired to be routine oriented, but like what we were challenged to do is to have something that was uh, consistent, but also something that was helpful for us every single pitch. And I felt like I had a routine, but then like, I really reflect and go like, okay, so like I do things just because I'm told to do them. I need to have a purpose behind that routine. Hmm. Um, and what a perfect example. So our baseball field at, at, at UC San Diego is oriented right across the street from a hospital. And it's actually the hospital that I was born at. So it was kind of a cool, like full circle thing. Yeah. And what I would do is between every pitch, I would step out, step out of the box, take a little practice swing, take a breath and then look at the hospital. Hmm. And it was, it's called Scripps hospital. So I'd look at the, the first P hmm. of Scripps and there was just my focal point. I would look up there and if I felt any pressure, if I felt like I needed to do something more, I would literally tell myself like, man, there are people suffering in that hospital. Mm-hmm. I get to stand in this batter's box and have an at bat. Like that's wow. really cool. Yeah. And just giving myself that perspective, every single pitch, at least at our home games yeah. really allowed me to, uh, to just perform at a better, at a better level. Because if I, if I didn't give myself that perspective, and again, this was a strategy that worked for me. Right. If I told my teammate to do it, they're like, why the heck are you doing that? Like, <laughs> The, the mental game is so dynamic and so individualized to every single person, mm. but that worked for me. And it all stemmed from this idea of keeping a really consistent and helpful routine and giving myself that perspective of, wow, like there are people like really actually suffering in that hospital mm. over there. And me standing at the plate with a runner at second base tie ball game is not a pressure situation. Like <laughs> that is not a big deal. Right. Yeah. So, and that, that worked for me. So um, those are just a couple examples yeah. that I realized like, wow, how powerful thoughts are when yeah. we perform. And that's what really stemmed my interest in, in pursuing this as a, as a full-time, you know, lifelong career of really exploring the, the, the role and the impact that thoughts have mm. on physical or athletic performance. It's just so fascinating. Right. So 
a lot of people I talked to, some people learned the the sports psych stuff um, kind of once they became in the field, like where you are now, now they look back on their sport and say, okay, that's why I was feeling that. I mean, it sounds like you were kind of having those realizations as you were going and affected what you wanted to do as a profession. Like, is that what you would say? Absolutely. Um, so to, to give you more insight there, like my, my junior year in college, I had the, the, the best, the best year of my entire life. You know, I, I, I was an all American. I, I did really well. Like I performed at an extremely high level and I never thought it was possible. And I attribute all of that success to the mental game and really committing myself to it. And then fast forward to my senior year, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I was hoping to get drafted. I was, you know, I had aspirations of playing professional baseball and I played horribly mm. and I attribute all of that to the mental game as well. And I, and I experienced both spectrums where I didn't stick to what worked for me as a junior when I was a senior. And if I would have, who knows what, where I would be now. I don't right. know. But like, I, I believe that there would have been probably different results. Mm. And since I experienced the success and since I experienced the failure, I, I was like, wow, like this mental game is absolutely mm. the game changer right now. And I think there's so much more to like success and failure is so much more attributed to the mental game than I think people realize. And that was re like you said, like I had the realizations then because I experienced both ends of the spectrum where like, this is what I want to do. This is what I, I want to understand it. I want to help people. And I want to add value to organizations, to people, to teams as much as I can, because I, I, I first of all experience it. And now I understand it mm. from like a, like an educational standpoint. And then now it's all about just like using a, a culmination of everything that I've learned through experience, through education, through failure, through success and helping other people like that. That's really what it boils down to. Right. So why, I mean, you talked about the pressures, but why do you think, like what changed from junior to senior year? Like why, if you, as a younger, you know, maybe less mature person kind of like you, even with a year of maturity and learning, you still kind of regressed mentally and like maybe to normalize that for people now, like it's okay to not always be on this perfect incline. Like why, why do you think you regressed specifically? I think I regress because I allowed factors that I didn't allow to impact me before impact right. me then. Right. And like I said, like the draft and pro ball and yeah. scouts and yeah. like all of the things that I never even gave one <laughs> thought to the year before, but all of a sudden, like, you know, I had a real, I had a lot of success. So then, you know, coaches and, and people are like, my teammates are like, man, Kellen, like you have a shot to get drafted. Like yeah. it became it became a possibility when it, when it never really was. I was just like, man, I'm getting an education. I'm playing some good baseball and I'm on a really good team. Like this is, this is a great college, college athletics experience. But then it realized like, Oh shoot, like this is actually possible. Hmm. And then that was in the back of my mind the entire season. And um, until, you know, later in the year where I, I realized it, I did, it took me forever to realize what was going actually going on. Hmm. Um, and then I started to play better at the end, but again, it was too late and I didn't have a shot and that, and that's okay. Like, I'm totally fine with that because it really allowed me to get to where I'm at today. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm fine with that, with that, my experience. So, um, I truly believe it was just allowing 
in the, the environmental, the aspects and the components of the game that I never really considered become priorities. Mm -hmm. And again, that's all rooted in what my, what my, where my focus was, what was I, what, what, what I was focusing on in the moment of, of competition or performance. And it's absolutely counterproductive to be worrying about all these result oriented components like professional baseball and draft and, you know, all these, all these crazy things that are absolutely important. They're just not relevant to, to what you're, what you're doing. Because in reality, if you, you commit to a consistent process over time, the results are going to take care of themselves. So why, why, why create a leap in logic by going like, this is what I want. So this is what I'm going to focus on as opposed to, I want this, therefore I need to focus on this. And I, and, and that's the way I, I describe it because of course, like, especially in professional baseball, now working with the giants, like players want to be successful because if they're not successful, they're not going to stick around. They're not going to keep their job. They're not going to progress to the major leagues. So like you hear often people talk about like, it's all about the process and that's true, but it's not entirely accurate because if it was truly all about the process, people that would work hard and commit to their process consistently would be the ones that last, but that's just not the case. But what is the case is results matter. The process is just the, the, the way that we get to the, the results that we want. So like focusing on the process is what we want, but realizing that the results are, are important and they matter is also important. And you have to have to find a balance between, between that, that dynamic. And, I just think it's naive to think like results don't matter. That's not true. That is absolutely not true, especially at the highest levels of sports. What matters to focus on is the process. Results matter. They just don't matter to focus on, if that makes sense. Yeah, and the way I've – people that have heard me talk have heard me say this a million times, the players I work with, whatever, they – I'll say you got to set a goal, then you have to create a plan to reach that goal, then you forget about your goal and work your plan like you're you're not just working some plan towards nothing it's a plan informed by your goal but now if you're always focused on the goal you'll your plan will get messed up because you're too focused on the future right yeah absolutely and and to build off that idea another thing i throw in there is results are not plans Mm. results are not plans right because my, my plan is like, like you're talking about like a blueprint. I call, I, I use the analogy of like building a house. I'm not an engineer by any means, but like, I imagine if I was going to build a house, the first thing I would do is get some blueprints going yeah. and like the house is the goal, but the blueprints are the ways yeah. that I'm going to, you know, build a foundation, uh, you know, build each component of the room. You know, I think of like in a house, like every room is a different skill set. So like in hmm. golf, you might have uh, your, your, your off the tee game and then you have your iron game and then you have your chipping game and then you have your putting game. And those are all different rooms within the house. And you have to develop each house into each room individually at times, because it's hard to, you know, develop your chipping game while you're working on your driving game. Like it just doesn't work. But, and the same thing goes when you're building a house, like stick to your blueprints. And then by the end, if you focus on every house or every room individually, the house is going to come together and that's your entire golf game. That's your entire baseball game. That's your entire skill set whatever you're working towards. So yeah. that's just another analogy that I, that I tend to throw out and people are like, okay, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You get, if you're like, you see your picture of the house and you're like, Oh, I can't wait to do that. And mm-hmm. you, and you jump straight to that. You forgot about building your foundation. You forgot about working on your kitchen, like most important room in the house, whatever. Yeah. So 
you get distracted and you're like, I can't wait to do the carpet in the attic or whatever. So I love that analogy. I've actually never used that analogy. I don't know why it's, it's an awesome one. Um, yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's cool. And, <laughs> yeah. and then, and then what you could do is if you're, if you're working with an athlete or having like a long-term, um, you know, working relationship with them, what you could do, or for the listeners who are working on their own mental game, perhaps you can spe- like literally draw out like your own blue, your own version of a mm-hmm. blueprint and then identify each room as a different component of your game. So like, mm-hmm. again, we'll use the golf analogy of like, maybe the, maybe the, the kitchen is your, 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 your three wood, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, right, right, right. And, and then like the, one of the bedrooms is your putting game. And yeah. then, you know, in, within your putting game, like there's different components of a putting game. There's reading the greens, there's mm-hmm. understanding, um, you know, how the greens are playing that day or, you know, understanding, you know, different components of the environment. Like, you know, for, for your iron game room, so to speak, yeah. you have to understand the wind, you have to understand the lie, you have to understand your own slice or your own, um, you know, your own yeah. ball trajectory. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So like, those are all different sub components of each room. Like, again, each room has a bed, it has a mm-hmm. nightstand, it has like, again, you can you really get out into the weeds with this analogy. Yes. But I think it's a, I think it's a cool way to visualize this idea of really working towards this, this result without focusing on the result, right? It's focusing on every component. I love it. Um, so to go to like today, I mean, what are you doing day to day with the giants? I mean, it's a weird time, but, um, like what are what is your active responsibility with them? Um, so, uh, I will, I will rewind back to spring training and tell you okay. what it was, and then I'll tell you what it was intended to be. And then I'll right. tell you what it is. Got it. Um, just to give everyone like the listeners and just people like a full understanding of sure. what, what, what the, the, the job was intended, but what is now. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so during spring training, um, we were, uh, we were fully, fully involved with every facet of the organization as a mental skills coach. Um, we were on the field with the players. We were, um, interacted with coaches. We were in every coaches meeting, every players meeting. Um, if there was something going on, we were likely there. Um, so our day started really early in the morning when people are showing up, um, for their, for lip, for their weightlifting or their workouts or whatever, like we would be there. And then we would be there essentially until the last person left. So we were, we're, and that's the cool part of mental skills. And I tell people this all the time is that we're involved with everybody and it's really cool because I get to learn from everyone. So we have sports science folks that we're interacting with and collaborating with. We, we collaborate with the sports medicine staff, the strength and conditioning staff, the pitching coaches, the hitting coaches, and really anybody that um, really anybody in the organization analysts, we're talking to analysts as well. And um, which is really cool. So during spring training, we're, we're at the facility all day. Um, when the players are on the field training, we're out on the field with them, you know, during batting practice, we might be, uh, around the cage, you know, just kind of chit chatting with the players, um, shooting the breeze with them. Um, you know, talking to, talking to coaches, if they're in the cages, we're, we're out there and, um, just being, being part of their environment. And, and that's, that, and that's really what had the approach that we took since this is, this is the first year that in the minor leagues we have minor middle skills coaches with the Giants. So like right. myself and my partner were, were we're new to the organization. So we had to find a way to normalize our existence and normalize our presence. So we were just around. We were just around. We would um, say what's up to the guys. You know, you know, ask them random questions like, "Oh, how was the food this morning?" You know, just, just random yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and that was our approach. So then. Uh, and then in addition to just being around and hanging out, observing um, and doing our thing on the field, we would also be given like, like formalized training or instruction time. So we'd get that, 
you know, every, every couple of days or, you know, once a week or, you know, whatever it might be, whatever fits in the schedule, but we would get, you know, all right, Hey, Kellen, uh, you guys have the pitchers tomorrow for a half an hour, you know, you'll have 50 guys in there, you know, do, do what you think. Okay, cool. And, and that's kind of how it works. So we would, we would do some instruction, we do some training. Um, and then what was cool is we would follow up with the players later on. So like, let's just say we did a half hour on, um, visualization with the pitchers one day. And then the next day I would be out in the bullpen as they're throwing their bullpens. And I would ask them when the guys like, Hey, like what's stuck with the other, you know, what are you walking away with? And, hmm. you know, just ask those type of follow-up questions and we would engage further because really the majority of like the one-on-one -on -one work that we do is like in their environment casually, right. just like on the field as they're walking from the locker room to the field. Like maybe I'll just jump with a group of pitchers right. and just walk with them and just chat with them or, yeah whatever that looks like. So that, that's, that's the cool part and the dynamic part of what we do is, um, you know, sometimes people think sports psychology, it's like sitting in an office one-on-one -on -one and like that happens, yeah. but not, not often in, especially in a professional baseball setting, because there's just no time for that. Right. And, um, and similar to the military too, where a lot of times you're, you're in their training environment and you're not sitting down one-on-one -on -one with them. You're just, you're walking to the, the firing range or you're walking to the obstacle course or, you know, whatever. So, yeah. um, this is very similar, very similar environment. So that's what spring training was. And now it's, you know, as soon as they shut us down and sent us home for coronavirus, like that's what we were doing every single day. And then, um, what we were intended to do. So now fast forward now to where the season, the minor league season would have been going on. Um, between my, myself and my partner, we were going to split the, the minor league affiliate. So for the listeners that aren't super familiar with how minor league baseball is set up, I'll, I'll just kind of give you a, a quick, quick shot of that. Every major league team has minor league teams under their umbrella called affiliates. And they range from rookie ball to low A to high A to double A to triple A. And um, so every, every organization has approximately five to seven minor league affiliates. Um, so between myself and my partner, we were going to split the responsibilities between those, those five to seven teams. I think we have six, six ish teams. Yeah. Um, and we were going to travel around the country throughout the course of the season, you know, drop into every affiliate for five or six days, um, say what's up, hang out during, during the game and the dugout, um, you know, do some instruction. Like we're talking about probably shorter, shorter instruction, you know, before batting practice or, you know, really any time that they have available. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we, I was probably going to be traveling 50% of the time. Um, luckily I live in San Jose, California, and one of our affiliates, our high affiliate is in San Jose. Um, so that, that was a huge plus for me and my family. Um, cause we have affiliate here. I could go to a game and come back to my own home, which is right. really great. Yeah. Um, so that was a huge plus if the season happened, but yeah. as everyone knows, um, the minor league season did not happen this year. Um, so now how we're doing it is, um, so my boss works with the major league team um, and he is with the major league team uh, throughout the course of the season. And then we have a, an alternate training site for a group of about 30 minor leaguers in Sacramento um, who are just staying in shape in case guys on the major league team get hurt or, you know, there's movement across the roster. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's where, uh, that's where our minor league guys that are playing our training are in Sacramento. But again, every team has about 30 out of the 200 that each team has. So like, there's a lot of minor leaguers that are missing out on, you know, the, the, the development and the training that you otherwise would get during a season. So um, what we've done now, that was more the intention that we've sure, done sure. now is since a lot of minor leaguers are at home and, and they're, they're training on their own. Um, we've, we've kind of shifted our approach to be more 
obviously remote online learning. So some of the stuff that we've been doing is um, pulling together book chapters, readings, videos um, for the players that we think are, are helpful. So we would pick a theme like, um, let's see, what was one of them? Um, like consistency. We just talked about this concept of consistency. So then we would find some, some articles or some videos of other athletes talking about the importance of consistency and we would, we would send it out to them um, and then uh, throw in a component of just like uh, some type of reflection. So what was cool is we would, off, we would sometimes get the opportunity to debrief it, uh, debrief the content um, on Zoom, or we would allow them to just reach back out to us. So we would touch base with them. We would you know, give them a call or text them and go like, hey, like, what do you got on the stuff we sent you? Um, just to break it down further and see what, how it applies to themselves or what they, what they, what they took away from it or what nuggets they're, they're able to apply. And um, so that's what we've been doing over the last, you know, five, six months of just, you know, trying to, trying to do some education, but ultimately our goal at the, like the, 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 the underlying goal there is to stimulate curiosity to the point where when we do reconvene, we have something to build off of and their goal, like, Oh yeah, that video with like Kobe talking about, you know, whatever, like that was really cool. Can we talk about that more? I'm like, yeah, man, let's break it down. And yeah. we're hoping those kind of conversations happen like next spring training or, you know, we're hoping we can get some fall camps in, you know, depending on some of the, the protocols that we have to do with coronavirus with the minor leagues. And um, we're hoping that we send out conversation starters, understanding that like it's, it's really challenging to learn all that stuff just by, you know, some reading and some videos. Mm -hmm. Like we know, like we've managed our expectations to go like, we're not expecting them to come back and be just like absolute mental game experts. Right. What, we, what we're expecting is that they've learned something mm -hmm. and they want to learn more. Like yeah. that's what we want. And oh. so that's what we've been doing. So we've been really creative and intentional about some of the content we're sending out. Like, you know, again, we would just find videos of um, other professional athletes like Drew Brees talking about his mental game or LeBron James or, uh, really anybody um, um, that we thought was, you know, sending a really good message that we want to reinforce with the players. And um, obviously, you know, young, you know, 18 to 25 year old guys like love watching videos and what yeah. like seeing what other people are doing. And what's really cool is working with minor leaguers is, is really fun because they're looking for any possible way mm. to get to the major leagues. Like mm. they're hungry. They want it bad. And they're willing to learn from anyone. And what's, what's really interesting, what I've learned so far is that minor leaguers love to know what major leaguers are doing. Like they love, they're like fascinated. Like what are those guys doing up there? Like I really, cause they want to be, that's where they want to go. Right. Mm -hmm. And what's even, what's cooler is major leaguers want to know what all stars are doing. Mm -hmm. There's like, there's like this tiered process in terms mm -hmm. of like their curiosity and their, and their, and their, 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 like their desire to learn. So Minor leaguers want to know what major leaguers are doing. Major leaguers want to know what major league all-stars are doing. Mm. And the major league all-stars want to know what other sport all-stars are doing. Yeah. So like they'll look to the Tiger Woods. They'll look to mm. the, you know, the, the Tom Brady's. They'll look mm. to the, you know, the Serena Williams, right? The, right. the, the best of the best of all these other sports mm. um, that it's just, it's interesting to see that, that, that interest level in terms of tiered of like, you know, cause for example, um, if a, if a, if a major league all-star looks at like, Oh, like I wonder what Clayton Kershaw is doing, but I just homered off him last week. Like, that's interesting. Like, why would I want to know what he's doing? Cause I just dominated him last week instead of like, man, I wonder what, 
Yeah. Um, Dustin Johnson's up too. Like, I right. wonder what he has to do with his mental game. Like, right. so it's just it's interesting to see. So then, as a minor league, as a minor league mental skills coach, I can pull from everyone, right? Mm. If Dustin Johnson has a good soundbite, I pull from him. Or if Serena Williams has a good soundbite, I pull from her. So it's like, it's cool because they're they're willing and they want to learn from the best of the best. And sport doesn't matter. Like, right. it, it really doesn't matter because again, the principles are the same success principles are all the same across, across domains, across time, really like they haven't changed too much over time. And uh, it's just cool to see these guys really curious and really want to learn and and get better in their game and, and, uh, and just want to, to know what other people are doing to be successful. It's really cool to see. Right. So you do, do you find yourself having to kind of sell the mental game as as an important thing or is it, has it reached enough saturation to where everyone's like, okay, I, we know this is essential. So both, both. I think there are moments where I have to do more selling, Mm -hmm. but there are in baseball specifically, because again, that's the majority of the people I work with is pretty well accepted that the mental game is important and that it exists and that uh, I, you should dedicate some time to it. Mm And the, 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 the marketing technique or selling technique that I use is simply asking one, two very simple questions. First is how much of the game of baseball is mental? Very common question. But I follow up with it with, well, how much time do you dedicate to training the mental game? And for, for all the listeners, I've asked that question to every major, every professional baseball player I've ever interacted with. And the answer is approximately 60% plus every single time, every yeah, single mental. time, yeah. like very rarely do I get something below 50%. But even if I did, the point there is when I asked the follow up question of, well, how much, like what percentage of the time do you dedicate to training the mental game? They all almost always say zero. Almost. They're like, Oh, almost never actually. Right. I'm like, Okay, so let's just say a player said 60%. I'll go, all right, so you're saying you spend 0% on 60, so you spent 100% on 40, so you're saying you're, you're operating at 40% of your potential. Wow. And they're like, oh. <laughs> They'd say what I just did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because again, I'm just, I'm just you're, you gave me the numbers. I'm just trying to make right. sense of it. And it's a, it's a really easy way for them to build buy-in because I don't have to, I don't have to sell the concepts. I don't. Right. If I spend time defending them, I'm creating space between myself and that person. Huh. But if I explore their skepticism yeah. and really dig deep in there, it's likely that they're going to move the needle towards more of a buy-in or just understand what they're actually thinking. Because mm. sometimes when they haven't even given that idea of thought, it's likely that they'll go like, wow, like I never realized that. And and that tends to be the realization. And if they have the, wow, I never realized that experience, they're more likely to buy in as opposed to, Hey, the mental game is important. You need right. to listen to me. My job is important. They're going to go like, who the heck is this guy? Like, right. cause it, cause if I try to do that, like yeah. no one's going to listen to me, they're right. all going to hate me and I'm not going to be effective. <laughs> so like, I would rather take the approach of, well, let's actually break this down for a second and explore it. So um, that, that, that leads to a really another important concept for, um, for the mental, mental skills coaches out there, or the athletes that are skeptical or anything like that. Like when I meet a new group and I'm doing a presentation, whether it's coaches or players or, or soldiers or whoever, parents, families, like if I'm talking to an organization with, with kids or families, I, I set the environment to go like, 
I invite skepticism. Like mm-hmm. I want you to be skeptical because there's a difference between skepticism and closed mindedness. And if you're closed mindedness, yeah. <clears throat> it's likely we're not going to get anywhere. Like right. it's, it's more, more than often, more likely than not. Mm-hmm. But if you're skeptical, please share because right. if you're skeptical, I, I want, I want to explore it. I want to get deeper in there. I want to, to understand your skepticism and I want you to understand your skepticism. So let, let's, let's get after it. Let's, let's break it down. Let's um, let's really try to navigate that skepticism. So um, I tell people like ask questions, like you mm-hmm. need to ask questions and, and there's a difference between questioning and asking questions because questioning is more of like a closed minded approach where you're like, well, this guy's full of crap. Like, I don't want to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to poke holes in it as yeah. opposed to like, I'm not sure about that. Like, mm. can you explain it further? Right. And if you have that second approach, you're likely going to learn something about the concept or yourself or both. Yeah. And so that's just, again, that's another way to, that, that I try to get buy-in with the players is really giving, having, just asking the right questions. Like yeah. I can't, I can't stress that enough of if you ask the right questions, you'll get answers that build in their own buy-in. Mm. Right. So I want to bring as much, value to the people that are listening as possible. And while some people might have been like, why are we talking about baseball so much? This is a golf podcast. I would tell them maybe listen to it again and look at it from a golf perspective. But um, because like you said, they're human skills. They're not, they, they, they translate. So like to the people that are listening, to put you on the spot a little bit, what would you say is one important way someone could work on their mental game? Like if a baseball player came up to you and just said, Hey man, I I'm just looking for ways to improve. You could give me anything and I'll work on it. Like, what would you say? hundred <clears throat> percent. I think um, I'll first, it's impossible to work on something if you can't define it. So I'll, right. I'll, I'll give you my own definition of what the mental game is. So the mental game is how well we manage the time between competitive moments. And in golf, competitive moments are ball strikes, period. If you're standing above the ball and you're swinging, you, your ball strike is your competitive moment. And very similar to golf, baseball has a lot of time between competitive moments. Golf has much more time between competitive moments, right? Especially if you're walking and especially if you're me and you have to go chase your ball into the rough. So like, I, I say that because the, 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 the way that which the manner that which you manage your time between ball strikes will, will strongly influence your success. So if I was to give one thing to a baseball player or a golfer, again, I'll focus on golf sure. is your ability to manage that time. Mm-hmm. That is critical because you, you have a lot of time to analyze your shot from, the pre, from, from one shot to another. You have a lot of time to analyze your, your future shot. And you have a lot of time to analyze your entire game as a whole. Let's just say you just, you just you know, you're on hole 10 and you, you shot really well on the front nine. Like, you're, you're probably feeling pretty good about yourself, but is feeling good about yourself and thinking about the previous nine holes helpful for your next shot on, on, on hole 10? Probably not what you need to be focusing on is your, is what you need to do to be successful on that tee shot on hole 10, as opposed to thinking about that awesome iron you had on hole seven. And another, like, again, in a, in a general sense, your body is always in the present, but our mind fluctuates between the past and the future. 
And there are times 100% to think about what you've done well and what you will want to happen in the future. And the, the mental game is just allow again, that definition of the way that would you manage the time between your competitive moments, being really deliberate about the times you are thinking about the past and thinking about the future and thinking about the present. And because like we've talked about, planning is important. So planning is thinking about the future. Making an adjustment is thinking about the past. And I think in that time between your competitive moments, those are moments where you are deliberate about, you know, perhaps the first two minutes you think about what had just happened, your previous shot. And then the next two minutes you think about what you want to happen. And then the next two minutes you're getting yourself present to commit to that next ball strike. So perhaps you break, you segment that time between your competitive moments to be really deliberate about, I'm going to maybe analyze and learn. Maybe I'm going to make a plan and then I'm going to commit to my plan and something along that lines where you're really deliberate about that, that those time segments between your shots. And again, this is the same thing for baseball players where, you know, the time between pitches we, we we've calculated is approximately 15 seconds. So the, the time, like the way that which you manage that 15 seconds between pitches determines your long-term success and consistency over time. Because if, you know, if I make an error on defense and I take that error thought with me in between those 15 seconds of my next at bat, I'm likely not going to be successful. The same thing goes for golf. If I think about that time where I totally shanked the ball into, into the water on hole three mm-hmm. and I'm on hole nine and I'm still thinking about where I hit the ball into the water, mm-hmm. that's not helpful for that moment. Now, you, like I said, you can think about the past as long as you're learning. You can think about the future as long as you're planning. Right. You could think about the present when you're about to compete. Like mm-hmm. that's the difference. Mm-hmm. And I think for the listeners, if the, 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 the more, effective, more effectively that you manage that time, Whatever that looks like, again, the, the learning, the planning, and the committing is more just like a general structure that I, that I tend to, to go to. But you're, you're being really deliberate with your thoughts and being really deliberate about when and where your mind is past, present, and future. And that's what, that's what it really boils down to, to be successful long-term and consistently. Right. Being, being less swayed by your emotions and having that plan ahead of time. Uh, and that applies you said between competitive moments. I mean, that's like between the last tap in on 18 or on the 72nd hole of the tournament to the first shot of the tournament in a week, all that time is also like you could spend that horribly or you could spend it on those three learn, uh, plan, commit. I mean, yeah. it applies to both, right? Yeah. And, and that, that's absolutely, you know, like a, like if you zoom out a little bit, that's exactly what I'll tell players too, is like the time between pitches and then there's time between net bats and then there's time between games and there's time between series and then there's time between seasons <laughs> and how well you manage all those, those time frames mm-hmm. is your mental game yeah. and how deliberate you are about your training. And that comes like, that's, that's, especially when we're talking about over the course of a season, that's how deliberate you are with recovery and rest too, mm-hmm. because it's really easy to, you know, let's just say you have a really good tournament and you, you win your tournament. It's really easy to, to, to go drink and do party out the next couple of days. Cause you're like fired up that you won and this and that, but like, is that an intentional and really deliberate way to spend that time between your tournaments? Probably not. Like, right. I'm not saying you need to go immediately at 6am the next morning and, you know, go work on your shot. Like yeah. that's not what I'm saying, 
what I'm saying is being really deliberate with recovery and rest and, and focusing what you need to, to be successful in the next competitive moment, whenever that is. Yeah. And, and if along the same lines of you asking people, what amount of baseball or golf is mental and physical, you could ask how much time, literally, if you marked it down, how much time do you spend in an actual competitive setting? You know, it's like five seconds here, five seconds, five seconds. And then how much time do you spend not in a competitive setting? It might be 95-5. Like, so you tell me all you care about is that 5%. You need to be like spending that 95% really well in order to do that 5% well, right? So same 100%. principle. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's again, it, it, like you said, if it is truly 595 in terms of the amount of time in golf, which that probably sounds about right. Like so much time we, we, so, um, so often we allow our mind to wander in that mm. 90 for 5% mm. when I typically, when I ask another, another key question I ask people is, do we want our thoughts to be left to chance or deliberate? Right. And almost 100% of the time, like, Oh, I want to be deliberate or intentional with my thoughts. Mm. Okay, cool. What are you going to, what are you going to think about? Like how, again, structure that time. What, what is going to be going through your head? You can pre-plan thoughts. You can proactively come up with your, your process. And again, we talk about process and I, I want to define that. That process is the mental game. Like your process is how well is the, the, the process that how you manage that time between your competitive moments. Like that's what it is. And, um, you know, that includes like the, the 10 seconds before ball strike with your, your pre-shot routine. Maybe that's a breath. Maybe that's a practice shot. Maybe it's visualizing where you're, you're picking up the, where you want the ball to go. Um, you know, taking, taking an inventory of how the ball is lying on the grass. Like those are all part of that time. And perhaps that's just part of your routine that happens the 10 seconds before ball strike. So like really mapping it out for the listeners, you know, working on their, their mental game of golf is like, truly listing out what you need to do and what's helpful for you to be successful in that next competitive moment. And I don't want to call it a shot. I don't want to call it a stroke because every single stroke or shot is a competitive moment. It's a, it's an all inclusive term, whether that's you're sitting on the tee shot of a, of a long par five or you're on a a 10 foot putt and you Mm. need to drain it to, you know, move on to the next tournament or win the tournament or whatever. Like they're all competitive moments. Yeah. And it's how well we manage the time leading up to it and after that's going to determine our success. Right. So as we kind of move towards the end, what, like, would you say there are more important moments and less important moments like baseball, golf, you know, military, anything like, is, is there times to elevate importance and decrease importance? So that, that's a, that's a really great question. I think, um, I think the, the level of importance is determined by the, the outcome of the, of the moment that you're in. So in baseball, it's often talked about the, like the, the count. So like a one and O count an O and one count, like the count on the hitter, mm. it's often talked about how every different counts deter like are, are, are an advantage versus right. a non-advantage for the hitter or the pitcher. And from, but from my mental game standpoint, that's like a tactical standpoint from a mental game standpoint. If I put extra emphasis on any specific pitch, what am I doing? I'm changing my process. Mm. When in reality, you know, the, the course of a baseball game, I don't know, let's just say has 250 pitches every night. 
I don't know what pitches are going to determine the result of the game. Mm -hmm. It could be the 76th. It could be the fourth. It could be the 102nd. I have no idea. So what I would ask back is like, do I want to change my process? Because I don't know what game, what pitch is going to determine my, the success of myself or the team. And the same thing goes for golf where, you know, there's so much, so much pressure or actually I'll use a basketball example. And then I'll come sure. back to golf. Cause I think basketball illustrates it really well where we watch it. We watch a highlight on sports center and they're talking about like, Oh, this guy hit a clutch three with mm -hmm. two seconds left. Like it was such a huge shot. And I'm like, well, okay, yes. But did those three points count for any more than the three pointer he made with 10 minutes left in the game? No. And it just happened to be at that time they were down by two and there's three seconds left and they drain a three to win the game. But like, did that shot actually win the game? I don't know because five minutes before the other team missed four shots in a row. So like, is any moment more important than the other? I don't know. We could probably get into a debate with coaches and, and, and analysts and all this kind of stuff. But like from a mental standpoint, I don't think there is a difference because our process shouldn't change. And then going to golf, you know, if you completely shank a ball on the second hole, but then, you know, birdie out the rest of the tournament, like did that shank on the third hole really matter? Probably not because you were able to commit to a consistent process over time consistently and be successful through our, the rest of the tournament. So like, I don't know, like, I guess in golf, like every stroke matters regardless if you're hitting at 300 yards or three feet. So like, I don't know if there's a difference. Maybe you have different strengths within your game, you know, short game versus long game. And maybe that's, that adds more importance or changes your process slightly. But like in general, I don't know if there's a difference between every shot or every pitch or every, you know, shot in basketball or whatever. And, um, but again, I, I just think that the more consistent you are from a mental standpoint, the more consistent your performance will be. That's a, that's probably the best way I've ever heard it put of everything Yes, everything has the same importance. Like, whether in basketball, like you're saying, we could argue with analysts, whether in basketball the three-pointer is more important than being good right under the basket. Like, that is outside the point of what effort you put in. I, I love you saying in 250 pitches, you don't know if it's the fourth, 72nd, whatever. With golf, you don't know if it was the – the third hole, the, the 45th shot you hit for the day. Like, um, so if you, if you looked at it as if there's going to be 70 shots for the day, what you do on each shot, that's what makes the difference. Not just the last four for some, like, why do people put the emphasis on the 66th through the 70th shot, you know? So why they do that is because the whole, our whole world is result oriented. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Because it's closer to the end of the game. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's, it's, it's a phenomenon that, that I think happens a lot in sports where we remember a lot of what happens at the beginning and we remember a lot of happens at the end. But very rarely do we remember what happens in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I think the best athletes in the world understand that the middle is just as important. And well because like it, on SportsCenter, again, you flip on SportsCenter, mm -hmm. they show you what happens in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, and they show you what happens on the 16th, 17th, 18th hole of yeah. every tournament. Yeah. And because it's exciting because there's results <laughs> on the line and something's important. But again, you're telling me that the 12th hole is not as important as the 18th? Mm -hmm. I don't buy that. I don't buy that. <laughs> right. And right. again, that's my utopian, you know, yeah, perfect right. world, mental skills world. And again, that's an uphill battle that we're fighting. But mm. 
the best athletes in the world understand that the 12th hole is just as important as the 18th. Mm, well said. Well, thank you, Kellen. I appreciate your time. Um, did you have any, I don't know, parting thoughts? You're like, I really want to say this or not at all. <laughs> no, I, I, I think we had some good conversation. Okay. I'm really, I'm fired up about how this went, but you know, again, I just can't emphasize enough for everyone mm. listening. Um, just the importance of committing to a consistent process over time. Mm. And, um, but with that said, like being, a, being able to adapt over time as well as your skills change, as your understanding of yourself changes, your understanding of the mental game and in game in general, whatever your game is, like your process should change. So consistent doesn't mean stagnant. Consistent mm-hmm. means helpful and consistent over time. And again, things can change. You can tweak, you can make adjustments over time. So I, I don't want you to walk away thinking like, I need to be rigid. I need it never to change because... Okay that's not the case because your skill set changes and your understanding of yourself changes and and anything like that. So like with skill set change, your process changes as well. And, Mm -hmm. um, but don't like totally abandon everything just because something didn't work once, like really commit to something. And, um, but keep in mind that you should be adaptable and flexible Mm -hmm. over time because your game is adaptable and flexible over time as well. Right. It's, it's not, like you said, it's not stagnant. It's, it's consistent effort not consistent circumstances, right? Right. Right. Okay. Got and, it. and effort, focus, attention, and energy right. are all limited resources. Mm-hmm. And we need to be really deliberate about how we allocate those resources and um, energy, effort, attention, and, and uh, focus are energy, attention, effort, and I'm just missing the last one. I just said it anyway. Just focus. Me. Right. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Right. Um, Something else. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that, that's where we should, that's where we yeah. should dedicate all of our, all, all of our time in time. That's the last one. Time. time is a limited resource too. And for sure the way we, we, we utilize all those resources, it's going to determine our success. Right. Okay. Well, since our time is limited, uh, I'll let you go. I appreciate your time. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's a, uh, it's an honor and I hope, I hope people walked away with some good stuff today. I think so. All right. Uh, I guess I'll catch you later. Thanks Josh. See you Kelly. See ya. All right, podcast over. See, wasn't I right? Wasn't that good? Like, didn't that like just clear so many things up? I loved that conversation. And I hope I get to talk to him more in the future because he's just, he just has a good energy about him and a good clarity. Um, So yeah, if you enjoyed it, I would love it if you shared this with somebody else who you think needs to hear it. I know I've been saying this a lot in these kind of outro things. I know that you know someone who needs help with their mental game. You're here because you feel like you need help with your mental game, so you thought you'd educate yourself. Now, someone else you know needs help. Everyone I always talk to is like, oh, I need help with that. So I know you know someone like that. So share it with someone. Um, maybe leave a review on the Apple Apple Podcasts or, um, yeah, subscribe anything, anything to show that you got some value out of this. It all means a lot uh, because it means that you took time to do something with this information. And if you ever have any like questions or, or thoughts or like, Josh, this really helped me or Josh, I tried this and I sucked worse. (laughs) It's possible. Uh, Send me an email, joshlukenichols at gmail.com. That's joshlukenichols nichols at gmail.com yeah looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say all right we will catch you guys in the next one